bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, August 6, 2019. Ten years ago this week, Democratic Senator Jay Rockefeller of West Virginia introduced the New Markets Tax Credit Extension Act of 2009. That bill proposed to extend the New Markets Tax Credit through the year 2014. Also, it proposed providing an inflation adjustment for the credit and allow the credit to be offset against alternative minimum tax. Now, in many ways, that 2009 New Markets Tax Credit legislation is similar to current legislation. It's similar to the New Markets Tax Credit Extension Act of 2019. The 2019 New Market Tax Credit Bill proposes permanence for the New Market Tax Credit, though, rather than a five-year extension. Now, the 2009 Senate bill and its companion bill did fail in the Senate. They did not get enacted during that Congress. But obviously, the New Market Tax Credit has continued to receive short-term extensions since then. Now, the current extension expires at the end of this year, December 31st. I will talk more in today's podcast about efforts to find a long-term solution for the New Markets Tax Credit and other temporary tax extenders. Also in today's podcast, I'll talk about the budget and debt limit agreement that was enacted last week. I'll also discuss the status of the Senate Finance Committee's Tax Extenders Task Forces and when we can expect their findings to be released. I'll also highlight some of the attention that affordable housing and rural energy are getting from Democratic presidential hopefuls. I'll close out this week's podcast by sharing an update on new low-income housing tax credit data from the Action Campaign. I'll also have state-level news from Arkansas on use of the state historic tax credit. If you're ready, let's get started. The budget bill is now law. The U.S. Senate passed an agreement last Thursday to suspend the debt limit through July 2021, as well as provide $1.3 trillion for discretionary defense and domestic spending for the next two years. The Senate passed the legislation with a vote of 67 to 28. That's after the House approved the agreement a week earlier. President Donald Trump then signed the bill into law last Friday. And as I mentioned in last week's podcast, the defense spending cap will be nearly $667 billion, and the non-defense spending cap will be about $622 billion. That's for fiscal year 2020, which begins October 1st, 2019. And then the following year, for fiscal year 2021, defense spending and non-defense spending will each be about $5 billion higher. And that means about $672 billion for defense spending and $627 billion in non-defense spending. Now, this agreement is an important but not final step toward preventing a government shutdown on October 1st. I say that because congressional appropriators still need to decide how the funds should be allocated through individual spending bills. The House has passed 10 of the 12 annual spending bills based on assumed non-defense spending levels that were higher than those approved in the budget legislation. Now, appropriation work has begun in the Senate, and it is expected to continue through the August recess. The first Senate Appropriations Committee votes on the fiscal year 2020 bills is expected on September 12th. Now, the deal, the budget deal, is a result of lengthy negotiations between House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the Trump administration. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin had long warned lawmakers that they need to take swift action to prevent the government from running out of money and defaulting on its debts. Secretary Mnuchin had said that the government could run out of cash as early as September. The legislation puts off the debt limit crisis for another two years. 
Now, this agreement also spells out the end for sequestration under the Budget Control Act, or BCA. As you may remember, the Budget Control Act of 2011 imposed strict spending caps between the years 2013 and 2021. Over the years, lawmakers have repeatedly passed several two-year budget deals that increase spending over the BCA budget caps. This was in order to avoid spending cuts across the board. Now, this new budget deal waives those caps and sets the budget through the year 2021, when the discretionary spending caps under the Budget Control Act would expire. One matter that the budget deal and debt deal did not address was tax extenders. Supporters of tax extenders had hoped that must-pass legislation, like the budget and debt deal, would be a vehicle to extend expired and expiring tax provisions. Senate Finance Committee Chairman Chuck Grassi of Iowa told reporters last Thursday that he expects the tax extender task force reports to be made public soon. This is according to Politico. Now, Chairman Grassi and Ranking Member Ron Wyden of Oregon created bipartisan task forces in May, comprised of Senate Finance Committee members. The task forces each have different focuses, and, and those focus areas include employment and community development, that's one, health is one, a third one is energy, fourth one, business recovery, and fifth, individual excise and other temporary policies. Now, an additional group will focus on disaster tax relief. These task forces are examining and will report on 42 temporary tax provisions. The purpose of the task force's report is to help inform long-term policies for those provisions. Now, the tax provisions under consideration are ones that expired or will expire between December 31, 2017 and December 31, 2019. Now, yes, that includes the new markets tax credit, which is scheduled to expire at the end of this year. The new markets tax credit will be examined by the Employment and Community Development Task Force. Fortunately, that task force is headed by and filled with strong supporters of the new markets tax credit. The co-leads of the Employment and Community Development Task Force are also original co-sponsors of the new markets tax credit extension act, namely Republican Senator Rob Portman of Ohio and Democratic Senator Mary Cantwell of Washington. Now, other members of the Employment and Community Development Task Force are Republicans Tim Scott of South Carolina James Lankford of Oklahoma, and Todd Young of Indiana. And on the Democratic side, Democrats Ben Cardin of Maryland, Sherrod Brown of Ohio, and Catherine Cortez Mastro of Nevada. Now, Senator Cardin is the lead Senate Democratic co-sponsor of the new Marcus Tax Extension Bill, and Scott Brown and Cortez Mastro are also co-sponsors. Chairman Grassley said on Thursday, I should note, that he had received four of the task force reports and did expect to distribute them publicly soon. We will, of course, post those reports on the Novogratz website as soon as they're available. I'll also tweet them out and, of course, detail them for you in a future podcast. So let's switch gears now. I want to highlight some of the issues that are getting attention in the Democratic presidential race. Some candidates have already released legislation and other plans over the past few months that address issues such as affordable housing. For example, Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts introduced a bill this Congress that calls for a $500 billion federal investment in new affordable housing over 10 years. Not to be outdone, Senator Cory Brooker of New Jersey plans to give financial incentives to local governments to encourage limiting zoning laws that limit affordable housing construction. Now, Senators Booker, Senator Kamala Harris of California, and former HUD Secretary Julian Castro each have proposals, high-cost proposals, for a renter's tax credit. 
Now, Castro has an expansive affordable housing platform, and it's available online, and it has several components. It calls for a 50% expansion of the low-income housing tax credit, for instance, and calls for making housing vouchers for very low-income households an entitlement. Now, Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota, also a presidential candidate, also released her affordable housing platform online, and it does include a focus on rural housing. Now, affordable housing was a key issue during the second round of the debates held last week over two nights. Now, not surprisingly, uh, Castro did say that as president, he would follow up on the work he did at HUD. Castro said he would invest in affordable housing and would work to restore the fair housing initiatives he helped implement during his time at the agency. Castro also said that rent is going through the roof and that people shouldn't have to leave their neighborhoods to accomplish their dreams. Now, former Vice President Joe Biden spoke about housing in the context of criminal justice reform. Vice President Biden said that when inmates get out of prison, they should have access to resources that will help them become better citizens, resources that include public housing. Now, turning to New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, he was asked about what he would do to address elevated levels of lead in some public housing. De Blasio said that the federal government has been disinvesting in public housing for decades. The New York mayor said he would eradicate lead in New York City public housing and across the country. Now, renewable energy was also an important talking point for candidates. On the first night of the debate, Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont said the country needs to transform the energy system away from fossil fuel to energy efficiency and sustainable energy. Now, not to be outdone, Washington Governor Jay Inslee said in his opening statement that his goal is 100% clean energy for Americans and to create 8 million union jobs. Former Vice President Biden said he has a plan to invest $400 billion in the clean energy technology to create 10 million jobs. Biden said he would double offshore wind and would end any subsidies for coal and other fossil fuels. Senator Harris, on the other hand, said she would re-enter the Paris Agreement and work to make America carbon neutral by the year 2030. Now, moderators asked Senator Kirsten Gillibrand of New York about her co-sponsorship of the Green New Deal. Gillibrand said that the Green New Deal is about rebuilding infrastructure and investing in green jobs. She also said she would put a price on carbon to make the market forces benefit green energy. Now, Representative Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii is not a co-sponsor of the Green New Deal, but she did say that she introduced her own climate change legislation long before the Green New Deal. Gabbard said that her plan included ways to transition off of fossil fuels, to invest in renewable energy, to invest in workforce training, and to invest in infrastructure. Senator Booker said that the United States needs to be a leader in addressing climate change. As the Democratic presidential race continues, I'll keep you updated in future podcasts on ways that candidates plan to address issues such as affordable housing, community development, and renewable energy. If you're interested in learning more about tax incentive policies, I encourage you to register for one or more of our upcoming Novograda conferences. Each of our conferences includes a special panel dedicated to the latest legislative and regulatory news from Washington, D.C. We have six conferences lined up this fall. Starting in September, we'll have an historic tax credit conference in St. Louis. In October, We'll have an affordable housing and bond financing conference in New Orleans, a new markets tax credit conference in Austin, Texas, and then an Opportunity Zones conference in Chicago. Then in November, 
we'll have our Financing Renewable Energy Tax Credits Conference in Washington, D.C. And we'll finish out 2019 with a Tax Credit Housing Finance Conference in Las Vegas. That'll be in December. Now, you don't need to memorize all those events and cities that I just mentioned. You can visit our Novogratic Events webpage for more information. You'll find the dates, locations, agendas, and more. You can also register for conferences on our website. I will include a link to our upcoming conferences page in today's show notes, and I'll tweet out the link as well. And turning to other news, the Action Campaign has updated its fact sheets for each congressional district. These fact sheets show the impact of the low-income housing tax credit within each congressional district. The fact sheets include the number of homes developed or preserved, the jobs supported for a year, the tax revenue generated, and the wages and business income generated in each district by the low-income housing tax credit. These fact sheets are great tools to help you advocate with members of Congress. I'll include a link to the Action Campaign's page in today's show notes. And in state-level news, the Arkansas Department of Finance and Administration released a legal opinion last week that the state store tax credit cannot be taken against two different taxes. A taxpayer had asked whether or not the state tax credit could be taken against both the state income tax and the state insurance premium tax. The taxpayer also asked whether or not a church that was being rehabilitated could qualify as both income-producing and non-income-producing. Well, the Department of Finance opinion won't come as much of a surprise. They said that the state tax credit could be taken against only one tax, and the property could only qualify as either income-producing or non-income-producing. It could not qualify for both. Well, the opinion isn't surprising and is unlikely to affect investment in the state much, but it does give clarity for those who are waiting for it. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. But before I close, I do want to note that Novogratic has a New Markets Tax Credit Exit Strategies webinar scheduled for this Thursday, August 8th. My partner, Nicola Panoli, will lead an overview of tax issues associated with exit strategies when a New Markets Tax Credit compliance period ends. If you're a community development entity, a qualified active loan community business, an investor, or just someone who wants to learn more about options after the compliance period ends, I encourage you to register. I will include a registration link in today's show notes. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.